Our scripture reading this morning is 1 Kings 18, 16 to 21. So just, uh, what is that, five verses there in 1 Kings. Tonight we're continuing in our sermon series in the book of James, so we look forward to continuing there this evening. And we're continuing in our morning series of Old Testament heroes of the faith. This is number 10, I believe, and as we've been moving from person to person in this Heroes of Faith series, what, what we've been doing is we've been moving forward in the history of God's people as the Bible records it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We started with Abel and then Noah very, very early on in biblical history. And with Noah, you remember, we first got that word covenant to describe the relationship between God and his people. And that idea of covenant carries all the way through the Bible into the New Testament, where Jesus even talks about the new covenant in his blood. All believers, including you and me today, we are God's covenant people. That's a word that describes us and our God. Well, then later, God called Abraham and made a covenant with him and his family. With Moses, that family became a full-fledged nation. With Joshua, that nation was brought into the promised land. A couple weeks ago, with Ruth and Boaz, during the period of the judges, we saw a great faithfulness to God in the midst of a time of great unfaithfulness. Now, starting with King David, Last week, we're in now that time of the kings. And in this time, God gave kings and prophets special callings to lead the people in the covenant. To lead people in a close relationship with the Lord. To lead the people in the life of faith. The king in our text that we're going to read about was a wicked, wicked king, and his name was Ahab. The prophet is Elijah, and we know him best for miraculously helping that widow at Zarephath. There was the flour and the oil that did not run out, and her dead son was raised to life. Also, Elijah was the prophet who challenged the prophets of Baal by drenching an altar with water and in faith calling on God to still light that drenched altar. God heard him and God came in a mighty way saying who he was by coming with fire on that altar. The end of his life, Elijah, like Enoch many years before, did not die, but he was brought straight to heaven with chariots, horses of fire, and a whirlwind. And so Elijah had a great life and ministry of faith, and we're looking at one particular episode in that ministry of great faith of the prophet Elijah. 1 Kings eighteen sixteen through 21 This is God's holy and infallible word. So Obadiah, that was a very popular name in the Old Testament. Obadiah went to meet King Ahab and told him, 
And Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. This was not the first time the prophet Elijah and Ahab had met. Three years earlier, Elijah appeared to announce a judgment of three years of drought because the nation of Israel had strayed from the covenant. Ahab had led the people far from God. And when that judgment first came three years ago, he didn't take it too seriously like he had never taken God's word seriously. He didn't think it was a big deal. It was good times in the nation of Israel. The economy was doing well. Everything was great. But over the course of time, the effects of the drought took their toll. Things got bad, and Ahab started searching out Elijah now. His wife Jezebel started killing off any of the Lord's prophets they could track down. Now finally, Elijah shows up again. Ahab calls out to him, you troubler of Israel. So he sees the preacher as the problem, the guy who brought God's word. So the king sees the word of God as the problem, even though he was supposed to be filled with God's word in his life. Deuteronomy 17, 18 says, when the king, anticipating the time of kings, when the king takes on the throne of his kingdom, He is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of the word taken from that of the priests. It is to be with him, the king, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the word of this law and these decrees. So in God's relationship with his people, and this is something that carries through all of history, God wants his word to be central among his people. And the leader at that time, the king, was to cherish that word. Have it with him always. Read it daily. He was to know it. And if Ahab had remained steeped in the word, things would have been okay. Because true happiness, real blessing, lasting joy for a people can be found in the ways of our God. But Ahab and his wife and his people had rejected the word, and they were more after material and earthly pleasures. God's prophet stands up and says, No, Ahab, I have not made trouble for Israel. You and your family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. And the Baals were idols of false religion, in that region at that time. 
And so God's prophet bringing God's word is not the problem. The troubler of Israel is the king who was leading people away from the Lord. God's judgment came. God's word came to remove the trouble in the land. And the trouble was Ahab and Jezebel. God's word was coming in to clean house, in other words. Elijah calls for a big meeting. And it was really a ceremony. Joshua called a ceremony after the people had entered into the promised land, and there he asked the people to choose whom they would serve. That ceremony, this one, there are others in the Old Testament, they were, we call them covenant renewal ceremonies, where the people would renew their allegiance to the Lord. Ahab should have called one of these ceremonies a long time ago to get things on track, and Then the drought would have stopped. Things would have been all right. He didn't. It's strange. Ahab goes for it now, probably because Elijah is inviting the 850 false prophets. And I bet Ahab figures with those large numbers, he can finally get rid of this Elijah who's been a pain in his neck for all these years, constantly bringing him back to God's word when he wanted to do his own thing. Now's a chance to get rid of Elijah. This is going to happen on Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel was near the coast on the Mediterranean Sea. Probably they met on a plateau called El Maraca, which has a large natural amphitheater-type setting. In this ceremony, the prophet asks the people, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And here we get to what's really going on. Instead of waver between two opinions, some translations have limp. It's actually, literally, how long will you dance between two opinions? It's the same word that's used to describe the religious dance of the Baal priest. They would, they would, they would jump, jump on one foot, jump on the other in crazy ceremonies to their bales. So what's going on is that God's people are doing a dance. They're going from one side of the line, I think I'll be a Christian, to the other, no, I want to live for Baal. Back and forth, back and forth. God's word says no. It's either or. Like Joshua 24, choose whom you will serve. You can't have it both ways. It cannot be both and in our walk with our God. Now with certain things in life, you want both and. For example, when two groups of people or two individuals are discussing something, both and solutions are often best. We want to come up with win-win situations a lot of times in life, not situations where one person wins and the other loses, whether you're you're talking with your, your teenage child or your spouse or a decision in the church. This summer, uh, my dad, my father, Hannah, our second oldest, she's in sixth grade, and I, I too, we were fishing. Hannah caught lots of fish, 
Not unusual for Hannah. I think it was about 13 or 14 on this particular outing. I caught just a couple, but one of those was the biggest bass of the day. So I was content with that. I was going more for big ones. And as we were finishing up, my dad said, Now, Hannah, who gets the trophy today? You or your dad, the one who got the most fish or the one who got the biggest fish? It didn't take Hannah too long to say, let's have a trophy for both. A trophy for the biggest fish and a trophy for the most fish. You see, she didn't get locked into an either-or dilemma. She found a way that both could win. Whether you're talking about something in your marriage, in the church, in business, you want mostly to be finding those types of solutions where no one has to be the loser. What that really is, is an application of God's law of love in human relationships, right? However, here, in terms of our relationship with God, you cannot operate that way. You can't live like a covenant keeper and a covenant breaker. You can't serve both God and Baal. God calls us to either or in terms of our relationship with him. People today want both Jesus and maybe a bit of Buddhism or astrology. A high school student maybe wants both to be a Christian, go to Bible studies in church, and be sexually active. A business person thinks he can both be a respected leader in the Christian community and juggle the numbers of his books. I want to enjoy everything God has given me and hold back giving to his church what I should be giving. I want to experience forgiveness from God and yet still hold a grudge against so-and-so. I want to please God and please people. I want to show up in the church and sing praises to God and keep a bitterness in my heart about something that I choose not to let go. I want to have both a strong commitment to Jesus and sort of a loose commitment to the church and church attendance. And we dance from one side to the other, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and God says, no. God's word says, choose whom you will serve. Stop wavering between two opinions. This both and deal was, in fact, the main issue throughout the whole Old Testament for God's people. It wasn't so much that people outright were rejecting God. They wanted God and. They wanted it both ways. God's great, but I also want to dabble in this other religion. I also want to dabble in doing my own thing when it seems best for me. The technical term for this is syncretism. The definition of syncretism is the amalgamation or attempted amalgamation of different religions, cultures, or schools of thoughts. After God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, the people were found dancing around and worshiping in front of this golden calf. You remember that? What was going on there? That was not an outright rejection of God, you know. 
They weren't choosing to worship the Baals and leave God behind. They were using, they were trying to use, you can't do this, they were trying to use the golden calf as an image to worship the true God. They weren't so clearly rejecting God. They wanted both God and Baal worship. But the Lord says to his people then and today, you can't have it both ways. You either serve Baal or you serve me. Jesus is either the only way or he is not. Either God's ways are the way to live your life or they are not. Either as a student, a young person, you follow the Lord or you don't. It's either God's way or you're either you serve God and let the chips fall where they may or you don't. Either this is God's holy and infallible word for your life or it's not. God's word comes to the people through the prophet Elijah and the people are invited to respond. What will it be? What you've been doing, both and, it don't work with me. It doesn't work with your God. It's not acceptable. It's not how it goes. It must be either or. What's your decision? What do the people do? How do they respond? The words in our text are some of the saddest in all the Bible here deep in the Old Testament in 1 Kings 18. But the people said nothing. Nothing? How can they say nothing when they are called to recommit their faith in God? How can they say nothing when God has been so faithful to them, protect them, save them, took them out of Egypt, provided for them for generations, made a people of them, brought them in the promised land, and even graciously, patiently, year after year through the prophets, sending his word of warning instead of just outright wiping them out, again and again sending his word of warning to save them from destroying themselves. Nothing to say It might be that they were surprised by the question. They had strayed so far from God's word that they think they can get the blessings of God in their life without the commitment to God and the commitment to his word. Sounds like America today, doesn't it? Sounds like you and me too sometimes, let's be honest. They thought they could get the rain without the repentance for their sins. But the fact is that our God's covenant blessings are only experienced, friends, with commitment, with repentance. That's true for a nation. That's true for your life and mine too. The people are silent. God and his people are in this covenant relationship and they have nothing to say. What do you think it does to a relationship if you're silent and don't communicate? What if a wife wants to discuss something in a marriage and the husband won't discuss it? I'm not talking about needing a little time alone to think. I'm talking about day after day, week after week, year after year. Well, (laughs) there's absolutely no hope of resolving any issues then. 
a relationship acquires the two parties to communicate. If a husband or wife is not, that's basically the same as opting out of the relationship, isn't it? That's not being faithful as a spouse. And this is the story of God's people in the Old Testament. They have nothing to say for themselves. They really don't want to serve the Lord and serve them alone. They want it their way. And without responding to the Lord, they're cutting themselves out of the deal. They're severing the relationship. And that's exactly what happened. And we see it as we go forward in the Old Testament. We will in the upcoming weeks in this series. And that's how it was until Jesus came. Until Calvary. On Mount Carmel here, the people make no attempt to get back into relationship with the Lord, but by God's great grace, that relationship gets fixed and restored on another hill. Our failure to respond was taken out on the Savior, on Jesus, on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why don't you answer me, is what he said. The prophet Elijah called Israel to an either-or decision. But when they didn't go for it, Elijah, as great a guy as he was, I mean, he was whisked up to heaven, but as great as he was, he couldn't fix the problem. And that's why the greater than Elijah came. And he died and rose again to restore that broken, severed relationship. He experienced from God the results of our silence so that we wouldn't have to experience that and so that we can now live either-or lives today. And that's your mission, friends. That's the vision for our lives, serving God and God alone. If you think about it in terms of an organization or a business, an organization can't, that is successful doesn't do both and. There's a, there's, a, there's a guy sitting up front here who's got a place called the Door Store. It's on Roosevelt. And the Door Store gives you a good idea of the focus of that business and organization. Now, what if, what if Mr. Voss thought, boy, I should start doing a little produce on the side. You know, have a little stand out front, focus on apples and oranges and bananas or whatever. That's not going to work. He's got to be focused. That's trying to do too much. A successful business needs to have vision and be aligned with that vision. It needs to get rid of the things that sidetrack it from that vision. Well, our covenant vision Friends, it's God and God alone. It's God's ways, not our ways anymore. It's God's plan, not our plans. It's God's church, not ours. It's God's word, not man's word. You know, and, and sometimes as people of faith, we, we, we try to do the dance, right? We try to have it both ways in this or that area of our life. Well, because of what happened on that hill, Calvary, we can be forgiven for the times we try to do it both ways. And in the power of Jesus' Spirit, we have now, as our goal, aligning our lives 
according to faithful covenant living. Let's commit to removing what gets in the way and what sidetracks us and keep our eye on the Lord and his word. Let's stop doing the dance. And let's instead be all in in every area of our life with God's help. Amen.